Baldy's Breakdown, the podcast, a radio.com sports original. Welcome to episode number one of Baldy's Breakdowns, another NFL season. He's got the headband on. Baldy, you look like you're pumped up and ready to go. Well rested, too. I am rested. I'm tanned. I'm rested. I uh, got some time off after the season. I visited Costa Rica, Hawaii. I got uh, all the the pleasure out of my system that I needed to have. And I'm ready because, let's face it, Jason, the league year starts next Wednesday. Uh, teams can start signing and negotiating free agent contracts on Monday. So it's here. Like, there is no more, oh, I got to get away. I need a break. I got my break, and I'm ready to go. You're right. Well, the countdown is on to free agency, as you mentioned. The countdown is on to the 2020 NFL draft. The countdown is on to find out where the heck Tom Brady's going to play. And there's so many intriguing storylines, Baldy. So let's get right into it because I know you're back, tanned, ready to go. Let's get right into some football here because the big question this offseason has surrounded Tom Brady. There's been a lot of uh, smoke maybe in years past, but it looks like there may be some uh, timbers burning this year. What's the latest on Brady? What do you, How do you see this playing out, and how, how did it come to this? Well, <clears throat> I'm not sure how it actually got to this, and I'm not – I'm not one to really follow the smoke. I, he did come out and say this past weekend that everything you've heard is not the truth. So I, I can't get my arms to wrap around the idea that Tom Brady is going to play anywhere next year but New England. However, I do believe that if he wants to, that, that if they cannot reach an agreement on whatever that is, Whatever, because we've never really known what his contract is, right? We, we no, nobody's ever actually had terms to just how much was guaranteed money, how much he was earning. We don't really know. How, we don't know how much is still deferred uh, later on in his life. But I do think that San Francisco would make the most sense right now. We saw Jimmy Garoppolo have a good season. We saw a team that is made to win a Super Bowl with a coach knows how to win a Super Bowl, I believe. I believe he knows how to coach one. And, you know, if Garoppolo makes a throw in the fourth quarter, uh, maybe they're Super Bowl champions this year. He overthrows Emmanuel Sanders by five yards, and maybe that's the throw Tom Brady makes. I do believe that um, there is something about going home that some players really like. His parents are in the Bay Area. He grew up a 49er fan. We all know what his childhood history was all about. And he could maybe eradicate some of the ghosts of Joe Montana, Steve Young there, and bring back another championship. I mean, the team is so I, – I don't believe – until I see it, I think he's a patriot because I don't know what their succession plan is. But if there is a team out there that I believe could make a move because they could unload Jimmy Garoppolo with only a cap hit of $4 million, um, and they could absorb Tom Brady. So I think that team – makes sense to me if he wants to go to a team that needs a great quarterback, a great decision maker, and they may be just out of way from winning a championship. He doesn't owe New England anything else, in your in your opinion, does he? I mean, he, he spent he won six Super Bowls there. We know that the successes. And is part of this, do you believe, the, the, the you know, Belichick getting some glory? Does he want to you know, kind of cut that cord and prove that he can do it somewhere else. Whether, like you said, I hadn't heard San Francisco. That's a, an incredible theory for you to, to go there and go home. And a lot of guys like to check that box. 
you know, a team that makes sense to me is Tennessee. But how much of this is he wants to cut the cord from Belichick and prove he can do it on his own? Well, I, I think that, you know, like all relationships, you know, they all get tested. I don't care if it's friendship or marriage or whatever. I mean, they get tested over time and they've been tested. Um, I, I think that if they wanted to try to do it separate from each other, that that could have happened years ago. I mean, he's 43 years old. I don't know how much football, great football he has left in him. And it might have passed passed him by. It's hard to judge this year because the town around him wasn't very good. But I, I think that, you know, that's that's the ego of Jimmy Johnson and Jerry Jones back in 94. And certainly they both have gotten a chance to do it without each other and they haven't had success, the ultimate success without each other. Um, you know, Jimmy didn't give it very long in Miami before he ready to set up shop in the Keys and fish every day. So I think that that's that's probably there. I mean, ego is always at play, but I don't know if that's the the ultimate reason to break apart at this point. Well, let me ask you this. Who's more likely to have success next season if they're not together? Say it's Brady in San Francisco or Tennessee or Bill Belichick, and you mentioned you weren't sure of the succession plan. I don't know the succession plan either. Who's more likely to have success next year and come out smelling good in this whole thing? Well, I think New England Probably still Brady, has a championship. Right? Well, I don't know. I mean, I think New England still has a championship-level defense. The offense has to be you – know, there's a lot of talent that has to be added to that, starting with the offensive line. They may lose their left guard, Joe Thune, who's, you know, a Pro Bowl alternate. Um, you know, and offensively they need – you know, they've never replaced Gronk, and we, we, we didn't think they had much firepower on the outside, outside of Edelman. So I think they have to retool the offense, and they need a quarterback. And I don't know that Jared Stidham, who's on the roster – is that answer? Maybe Jimmy Garoppolo, if they would switch teams, you know, could be in a position Tannehill. to lead. Tannehill, possibly. I mean, I've heard other names, but I don't know that anybody, you know, that anybody's going to be scared. I mean, I don't think Kansas City would be scared by anybody that they would put a quarterback beside Tom Brady at this point. And I'm just saying Kansas City because they're the logical team to to possibly repeat with that quarterback that they have and Andy Reid and and all the elements that they have there. But there are other teams. Baltimore certainly could have a bounce-back season. Um, you know, they look like they're built, you know, for the next couple of years. So, But I don't think anybody would fear the, the New England Patriots with another quarterback beside Tom Brady right now. Yeah, well, let's talk about uh, the Chiefs. You just alluded to them. Of course, they played uh, the 49ers in the Super Bowl we are just talking about, and we'll see if, if – that would be a hell of a swap, by the way. Garoppolo back to the Patriots and, and Brady to the Niners. Let's talk about the Chiefs in the aftermath of that Super Bowl. Um, how built are they to repeat, Baldy? Because you mentioned they got that quarterback, and when you can check that box and you can check it with a guy like Patrick Mahomes, and we know how incredible he was in the second half of that Super Bowl, boy, they go into any season feeling like a favorite now. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I just watched, uh, you know, NFL uh, mic'd up yesterday, the 50-minute show of uh, the Super Bowl, and I just watched Patrick Mahomes interact with his teammates when they were down 10. It was theirs to win. I mean, he never stopped really just being a leader. Uh, the way that he consults with Andy Reid after every single series, what he saw even on third and 15, down 10, and what he saw in that play. I mean, Tyreek Hill's coming back, and uh, you know, Travis Kelsey is coming back and much of the offense line is coming back, uh, you know, and then, you know, they've got one key free agent 
in Chris Jones, a defensive lineman, who's really important to get re-signed if they can. But, I mean, they, they're going to come back largely. I mean, maybe Sammy Watkins doesn't return. We don't know. But, I mean, they come back largely intact, and the quarterback is uh, is poised. I mean, he comes off an MVP league of 50 touchdowns and 5,000 yards, and then he has a Super Bowl MVP appearance, and he's 24 years old, and he's healthy. And it looks like all he wants to do is just pile up, you know, Lombardi trophies at this point. So, I mean, I think they're the first team in a while that you can really list as the favorite to repeat right now. Yeah, that doesn't happen very often. And we're going to talk to a, a Super Bowl winning quarterback momentarily here on Baldy's Breakdowns in Kurt Warner. And I can't wait to talk to Kurt about the, the quarterback craziness of this offseason. Now, Baldy, we hear names, guys changing teams. We know Drew Brees is coming back at 40 plus years old. Years ago, you'd never thought that would have been possible, especially at his size. But Philip Rivers out there, Tannehill could be on the move. Do you ever remember so much fluctuation at the quarterback position? And it's not just – this isn't middling quarterbacks. This is high-level quarterbacks that are, are on the move in the NFL. Well, I mean, it's it's really and, – and, you know, Dak Prescott has to get signed in Dallas. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of names out there and a lot of experience out there. And then if you just look at what Ryan Tannehill did a year ago in Tennessee, nobody could have thought – that Ryan Tannehill could play at the level where he was the number one rated quarterback in the NFL uh, and took his team deep into the playoffs. So uh, there is a lot to look at because there's also a lot of, I think, quarterbacks in the draft that are going to be franchise quarterbacks, starting with Joe Burrow and Tua Tonga Viola. I mean, I think you're looking at, you know, some, you know, these quarterbacks drive free agency, they drive the draft, and the quarterback carousel never really stopped spinning. But I can't really recall a year when this many players are going to change teams or possibly can change teams. Certainly, Philip Rivers is going to change a team um, that could really impact what happens in the draft. And so how many quarterback needy teams are there? Does suddenly Jacksonville become needy? Does Tampa Bay become needy? There's so many teams out there that could make changes at that key position and decide to move on at this point. Yeah, and Philip Rivers, yeah, he'll be on a new team, and it doesn't look like there's a future for Nick Foles down in Jacksonville. What are they going to do and how are they going to move forward? Let's talk about the draft because you mentioned Joe Burrow and you mentioned Tua. I'll leave his last name to you. You're much better at that than me. Uh, but Joe Burrow, there, there's been a little bit of uh, information out there that maybe he doesn't want to play in Cincinnati. And that's kind of uh, not the spirit of the NFL draft. You go where you're drafted. But uh, Burrow, as an NFL player, first of all, your, your analysis on that. And then obviously the other part of it is, how do you feel about players uh, kind of trying to dictate where they go? Well, he, you know, his offseason guru right now is Jordan Palmer, the brother of Carson Palmer, who certainly spent the majority of his career in Cincinnati. So, I mean, he knows the organization inside. Now, he's from Ohio. I mean, he's filed the Bengals. Um, I think uh, – I don't think it matters to Joe Burrow where he goes. I mean, I don't think he'll pull an Eli Manning going to Chargers and being traded to New York. I, I don't think, you know, John Elway saying I'm not going to Baltimore, I'm going to Denver. You know, I don't I don't see that coming from Joe Burrow. But when you watch the year that he had, I mean, he was Robert Redford in the natural. He was simply sensational. Now, I've talked to Sam Bradford. I've, I've talked talk to uh, – not Sam Bradford. I've talked to Sam Darnold and other quarterbacks – that are working out with Joe Burrow. And they'll tell you, he does not have the strongest arm. But he is extremely accurate. And, you know, he's also very tough. And, you know, he's been through a lot at Ohio State, getting beat out, transferring, 
not having a great year his first year, but then putting it all together in that last year where his decision-making, the accuracy was just uncanny. Now, he had elite players around him. I mean, Justin Jefferson and the players that he threw to were elite. Uh, the tight end, Thaddeus Moss, I don't know they dropped a pass last year. The running backs, I mean, he had everything going for him, including an offense coordinator that right now is the highest-paid coordinator in the NFL with the Carolina Panthers and Joe Brady. So he had a lot going for him, but he still made all those throws. And when you go back and study him, uh, Jason, I mean, he it's hard to find anybody that can poke a hole in his game last year, whether it was running for touchdowns, extending plays, eyes down the field, toughness. I mean, he was he was sensational. And those kind of guys don't come along very often. And um, look, Kyler Murray, uh, you look at all the guys that have been drafted at the top right here, Baker Mayfield. I mean, you put him over all those guys right now at this point uh, of this wow. process. Uh, well, talk about Tua real quick is because if Brady doesn't go to the Chargers and help him open that new stadium, uh, they got a quarterback spot. Is the most likely landing spot for Tua at number six to the Chargers? Well, I don't think he's going to last number six. I mean, I, 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 wow. there's a lot that has to happen. I mean, Chase Young is the best player in this draft, so I don't know where he's going to end up. But I, I have said this from the very beginning, that the draft is going to go Burrow and Tago Vailoa. I mean, Tango Valella. It's going to go one, two. Now, Washington can mm. trade down one spot with a needy quarterback, needy team that's willing to give up a lot and tell them that they're going to take the quarterback. And then, you know, Chase Young could go third to Washington, whatever. And maybe Washington gets into the quarterback sweepstake. We don't know what's going to happen. They got a new coach and a new system. So we'll see how they feel about the quarterback from a year ago. But I believe that it's going to be Joe Burrow and Tua, uh, one and two. Uh, when you come to April 23rd on on draft night in Las Vegas, I, the quarterbacks are going to go one two. We see it all the time. We yeah, saw it with Carson late. Wentz, and we, we see mm -hmm. it so many times here, Jason. And I believe that that's what you're going to see this year. That when you watch and study Tua, and as, as time goes on, he's going to get a clean bill of health. He's going to be he's going to be healthy. He's going to work out. He's going to have a pro day. Um, he's going to be very. I mean, when you sit down and talk to this kid, I mean, he's the He's the most mature adult in the room. He's got all his priorities in order. He's got everything it takes to be the face in the, in a, of a franchise quarterback, and I believe that's what he is. Oh, well, very interesting. And we're joined now by on Baldy's Breakdowns, a great NFL quarterback in his own right, and he joins us right now on the show, Kurt Warner. Kurt, how are you today? I am doing extremely well. How are you guys? Well, you're, well you're we're good here, Kurt. <laughs> we're not in Cabo what? San Lucas, so – I trust, Kurt, that this is not an assignment in Cabo San Lucas. You're not scouting some quarterback down there that nobody has seen. You're not doing an NFL uh, network special at this point. This is a vacation, correct? That is right. We got a little spring break, so uh, my wife and I are down here with a couple of our girls just uh, just enjoying a few days before uh, heading back home for a, a fundraiser that we're, uh, we're doing this weekend. Kurt, before we get to the football, I see you're like a plank board for your wife. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, however you look at it, but yes, that's uh, yoga is one of her things. So when I come down here, yes, I get to be her spotter or her plank or whatever you want to call it, um, just to have a little bit of fun down here. It's uh, you know, it's one of the prerequisites to uh, to being married to my wife is you got to take part in some of those things. 
That doesn't sound like such a chore, actually, Kurt. It's, it's actually good for you. <laughs> let's, uh, Kurt. Let's let, look. We have you on here, and we're we're excited to talk to you because the quarterbacks always drive free agency. They always drive the draft, Kurt. And I don't really recall a year where we had maybe so many quarterbacks move. I mean, name quarterbacks, quarterbacks that have put up big numbers, that have had success. Obviously, starting with Tom Brady um, in free agency and what might transpire. Uh, including Dak Prescott, and if they get that deal done in Dallas, which I'm sure they will. And then what we see in the draft, Kurt. So let's start with Tom Brady, Kurt. I mean, I can't wrap my arms around the idea that Tom plays anywhere but New England next year, but I'm sure you're privy to other information, Kurt, and, and probably could lay out some other scenarios for us at this point. Well, I'm kind of with you, though, Baldy, is that, you know, as I weigh all the different situations out there that, that I – I think could be possibilities. Now it is Tom Brady. So there may be other possibilities out there. We're not really thinking about because people might just look and say, Hey, this is Tom Brady. You know, we're willing to do pretty much whatever, as long as we don't have one of those, you know, young QBs that, that we've paid that money to and believe is our franchise guy for the next 10 years. So there could be a lot more possibilities than we're thinking about. But, you know, when, when I look at it, bottom line for me is, you know, Tom Brady had talked to him at the end of last year when we were covering that Bills game late in the year. And it was the best I've ever heard Tom Brady in regards to what he was going through and what he was feeling. And at one point, I think Mike Tirico asked him, you know, do you still enjoy showing up on Sunday afternoons when you run down out of the tunnel and run down the sideline and say, let's go? I mean, do you still enjoy that the same? And he contemplated it for, you know, Quite a, quite a few seconds, and then look back and he goes yes and no, and he said, of course I still enjoy playing and competing, and you know you know having been a player, you can never replace that. You you always enjoy those three hours on Sunday afternoon when you get a chance to compete at what you do against the best in the world. But he said, you know the no part of it lent itself to the fact that he knew every time he ran out of that tunnel that they couldn't compete at the standard that he had set for himself. He just said the team is not in a place with the young guys and the pieces around him to compete at that level. So here I am used to playing at a particular standard, and I just know when I show up on Sunday afternoons, we are not going to be at that standard. And that is so frustrating, and and I completely understand Mm -hmm. that feeling. When you're that one guy in the room that has set a standard and you've got to try to lift everyone else up to that standard, knowing that it's it's pretty much impossible at a particular time. And so that's what he was going through last year. And so that's what lends everybody and, you know, part of me to say, well, gosh, he's going to get out of there because they still have a lot of young pieces and they still don't have a complete offense. But – with all that being said, here's a team that was one game away from being the number two seed, that you're guaranteed you're going to have a good defense. You're going to win games. You're going to be in a division that you've won, I don't even know how many times in a row now, that you're in a situation that even with some of the limitations offensively, where you're still going to have an opportunity to compete for a championship. And you have to believe the offense and the pieces are going to be better this year. And so that's where I start and go that I believe because of what Bill Belichick brings to the table, you're going to be competitive for that championship in new England. And so now you have to look around, you know, the landscape of the NFL and go, okay, what other places do you feel like 
you can just step in as a quarterback and you're automatically competing for a championship. You know, you've got teams like the Raiders. Are, are they that close? Are they just one player and a, and a quarterback like Tom Brady away from competing? San Diego, I'm sorry, San Diego, Los Angeles Chargers is another one where you say to yourself, are they just a quarterback away having, you know, Phillip Rivers, who a lot of people believe is, you know, top-notch quarterback in this league, and they weren't able to get anywhere close to that. And then I look at those two situations and say the other thing is no longer are you just going to walk through that division. You know, you're not going to be guaranteed 10, 12 wins uh, for sure with those teams when you've got to play against the other teams, and specifically you've got to play against the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes in that division twice. That doesn't mean Tom Brady is afraid of playing against Patrick Mahomes. It's just one thing about playing in the AFC East. You're probably going to win that division. You're going to get into the playoffs for sure. And possibly, because of where that division has been, you have a chance for a bye, a number one, a number two seed, and what that means going into the playoffs. Are you going to have that playing against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs and where they were the Super Bowl champions? So I don't know if either one of those is a better situation than New England. Well, there's you know, an outlier the there, Kirk. Oh, there's, a, what, there's an outlier there, Francisco. I mean, I, I look at San Francisco and I go, I mean, they've got everything in place. Now, I, I'm not down on Jimmy Garoppolo. Right. We saw, saw him miss a throw in the fourth quarter that could have put the game yep. you know, in their hands. I mean, it's one throw. It's not a whole season. But I, right. I, I, you know, an out that San Francisco has with Garoppolo, and I go, I don't know, would, would Tom Brady, you know, entertain going back to the Bay Area, and plug right. him into Kyle Shanahan's offense with that running game and that defense, and go, yep. they may be Tom Brady away from winning. No, no, no doubt. And so then, you know, you go to those two teams, the AFC. Then, then I flip over to the NFC, and you're right, San Francisco team that you believe has a lot of pieces and could be in play. Uh, you know, another situation like Tampa that I think is intriguing. They're getting better on defense. They've got some really good weapons on offense. Could they compete? You know, and, and a few teams in the NFC, but I, I still say to myself, if I'm Tom Brady and I'm looking at this big picture, if I go to the NFC, there are a lot of really good quarterbacks that I have to beat to get to the Super Bowl. And, those are things that, to me, you look at. You know, where I look in the AFC and I say, yeah, there's Patrick Mahomes. But is there another quarterback that you look at in the AFC that you say is ready to compete for championships and ready to take down the best in the business? I don't think there is. I mean, there's some other good young quarterbacks, but I don't More think Jackson. they're there yet to be able to compete with those guys. So, again, path of least resistance. That if I go to the NFC, yeah, we could have a really good team, but I'm going to be having to beat two, three uh, really good quarterbacks in the playoffs to compete for a championship. So is that the place I want to go, even though San Francisco may be the best team that's out there? And that brings me to, the, to me, the most intriguing spot, and that is Tennessee. Um, that here's a team that last year was in the AFC Championship game. If you get Derrick Henry signed again and, and the pieces they have and the offensive line that they have and young pieces, that that's a place that intrigues me because I don't think anybody in that division um, – you know, is above anybody else. I think you're in a great position to be able to win that division, win a lot of games. Uh, I think some of the pieces are there in place. But, again, my question there is, do they have the roster talent to be a championship team each and every year? You know, they don't have a lot of household names. They don't have a lot of guys that you just go, okay, you know, I know that we're going to have this or be that 
next year. And so that's an intriguing situation to me because of what they did last year. And I think outside of New England would be the most intriguing place if I put myself in Tom Brady's shoes to say, hey, I think we can win our division. I think we can be competitive. This is a team that was in the championship game last year. I'm still in the AFC. So that's the other one, Baldy, that to me kind of jumps out and goes very, very intriguing um, if you do end up leaving New England. Yeah, there's a comfort factor with Vrabel there, too. For sure. Kurt, uh, there is Philip Rivers out there, and we all watched Philip Rivers last year. It was not a good season. Um, he did not finish games well. Uh, you could all, you know, anybody could say it was the, it was a really shaky offensive line that kind of led to, you know, a subpar season, I believe. But what I know you did some of his games, Kurt. What do you see? Do you think that he has a great run left in him, and who might be a suitor for his talent? Well, you know, a couple of things. I mean, I'm a huge Philip Rivers fan, and you know, it starts just with his leadership you know, what he brings to the table, the way guys compete and love to play with him, that I think he makes every organization better if you don't have that guy. Do I believe he can make every throw? Without question, he can make every throw. And, and I still think he can play at an extremely high level. I've watched it over the last couple of years at different times. Here's the thing with Phillip is that, I, you know, Phillip's a guy that believes he can make every throw. And, you know, if you heard the soundbite that he had earlier in the year, he was just talking about, He's not a guy that throws an interception or two and decides, oh, now I'm going to play cautious. He said there's only one way to play, and that's to swing it, and that is to go out there and try to win every snap and make every throw. And the only thing I worry about with Phillip is that he's getting to that point now where you, you kind of feel like the last couple of years he's really been pressing and really feeling like he is going to go out there and try to make every play and try to make every throw because it's getting to that point where his career's almost over and he wants to go win a championship. And I think that mentality, to a degree, um, has led to a lot of the interceptions and a lot, to, a lot of the bad decisions and forcing some throws as he's trying to make extra special plays. And that, to me, is are you going to get that as well when you get Phillip Rivers? Because there's so much about Phillip that I like. But we've seen him put his team in harm's way recently. And I think all great quarterbacks are gunslingers to a degree, and they believe they can make every throw. But you have to judicially do that so you don't hurt your team. Um, and that, to me, becomes the real question with Phillip Rivers, is what team is he going to? How close are they to winning a championship? Are they going to have to rely on Phillip Rivers to make those special plays to win? If so, that would concern me a little bit. As much as I like Phillip and as much as I believe he can put a season together without question, um, I just think he's been in that mode the last couple of years of pressing too much, and you've got to be able to get him away from that and allow him just to relax and play football again and believe that the team around him is good enough to do that. Hey, Kurt, Kurt, there's one other player out there. I mean, we, we sat okay. down a month ago with Ryan Tannehill, and he was pretty impressive in our meeting mm. with him, Kurt session there is a you know I don't know what Tennessee is going to do yet if they did make a play for Tom Brady Ryan Tannehill would be available he certainly put together a nice resume of 10 games plus a postseason last year what do you think what do you what do you think do you think there's a team out there that would say that was enough of a sample that we want him to come and be our quarterback um, I, you know, I think there was definitely some teams that would be intrigued um, by what he did last year and, and you know, winning games and making big plays. 
the question really becomes when you say be our quarterback, does that mean paying him 30-some million a year for three, four, five years? I'm not sure. You know, I'm one of those guys that as much as I liked uh, what Ryan did last year, as you said, how impressive he was when we sat down with him in the film session, all those things were exciting to me. And there are things that make me hope that last year, because of the stability and the situation he found himself, that we actually got to see who Ryan Tannehill will be the rest of his career. The only problem is he's had a big sample size, and we've only seen a little bit that has been at that level. And so it's very hard for me as an organization to go, okay, let me forget about all the stuff in Miami because it was Miami and because of, you know, the lack of pieces and all that stuff. And let me just forget about all that and believe that what we saw last year in that 10-11 game period is who Ryan Tannehill is, and I'm convinced of that enough to give him $30 million a year. I'm not sure there's a team out there that is convinced of that. Uh, as much as I liked him, I'm not convinced of that. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping that he just found the right fit and he can stay in a fit or find another fit that allows him to play at that level. But I think it's just very hard with that small sample size to think there's another organization out there that's willing to give him 30-some million a year based on just that one run where it was still a defense first, a run game first, and Ryan Tannehill being a complementary piece, piece because I don't think there's a lot of teams out there that are really built that way and can only expect, you know, only have to ask their quarterback to, to throw 30 times a game uh, to win and go to an AFC championship. I'm just not sure there's that many teams out there. Hey, Kurt, um, there's a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL right now that are, that are post-40 years old. You played in this league. You had to make that really difficult decision to hang it up. You look about Drew Brees. Looks like his arm strength has suffered a bit in the last couple of years. Tom Brady's 43. We're talking about him going to another team at this point. And, you know, Phillip Rivers has been around for a long time as well. How difficult of a challenge is it for those quarterbacks that are, are well into the back nine and maybe on the final hole to make that decision – to leave the game before it's really apparent that they have to leave the game? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really hard. Um, you know, when I retired, I was 38 years old when I retired. And physically, I felt like I could play for four or five more years. I mean, I actually feel like I could play right now. Um, and so I think these guys are feeling the same way, that they're not taking the beating, that they're being protected more. The way the game is played, there's a lot more throws at the line of scrimmage where the ball's out of their hands, where they don't have to hold the football and take those hits. Um, so that's the first part is that physically they can still play. They take care of themselves. They do a great job with that. So I don't think that's a question based on how they play as well. They're pocket guys. They don't have to move. They're not you know, basing it off of their you know, physicality and that sort of thing. Um, so that makes it hard. Uh, for me, it became more of a mental thing of what I was asked to do and kind of the stress and, and level that I had to play at that it just it got to the point where it, it taken away from the fun of the game. And I think that really becomes the question for these guys is when is enough enough? You know, when do they not want to put in the time and the effort? Because as we talked about earlier with Tom is that you're never going to, uh, you know, leave or get to the point where you go, I don't want to compete on Sunday afternoons. It becomes the preparation, you know, all week long to Sunday afternoon, the preparation in the off season and what you have to put into it from a diet and an exercise and, and all the stuff that these guys do. At what point do they decide, 
hey, it's been a good run. I don't want to put in that time anymore. I want to go be with my family. But from a physical standpoint, because of the nature of how the game is played and how they're protected, I don't think that's going to be a huge issue for these guys. Um, You know, even though Brady, I mean, 43 years old, the question to me becomes, can you throw it far enough? You know, if you know how to play, you know what you're seeing, you know how to anticipate, you don't ever have to throw it really far. You just have to know where and when to throw it. And, and all these guys play that, that game the same way that, you know, I think it's really going to come down to not a decision of whether I can play or not. It's whether I want to play or not. And, you know, that decision becomes different for all those guys. Kirk, guys that want to play, uh, you saw them at the Combine just a couple weeks ago. Uh, you don't have to go too deep big of depth, but I know you're big, Kurt, on how a guy throws a football and you're down there in the field in Indianapolis and you're watching some of these guys throw the ball. What stood out, Kurt, at the Combine this year with this group of quarterbacks that are coming out? I see where Daniel well, Jeremiah has them rated very, very high, but I don't know. What did you see, Kurt? I mean, you see it a little bit different than just about everybody else. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm always I'm a big technique guy because I think technique can carry you in a lot of different ways. And when you don't have great technique, uh, I worry about you. Even though, you know, there's guys with tremendous arms and tremendous talent, and we see it every year, um, when you get to the NFL level, it's the guys that have good technique, that have consistency, that really separate themselves. And guys that don't show that in college and think that they're going to all of a sudden become that in the NFL, uh, it doesn't happen very often. And so, you know, I can't say that I was overly impressed with the quarterbacks that threw at the combine, um, you know, the Justin Herbert, you know, he looked to me very methodical, looked like a guy that had never really been under center, looked like a guy that was aiming a lot of things instead of just naturally throwing the football. Now, when they went to the deeper throws where timing and that sort of stuff doesn't play into it and it's really just about arm strength, yeah, he looked really good. You know, Jacob Eason looked really good. Um, You know, they stand out there because they are physically talented. But that's not how the game is played. The game isn't played just winging the ball down the field. It's played with anticipation and accuracy and understanding and getting the ball out and all of that stuff. And, you know, there wasn't really too many guys at the combine that just, you know, stood out from that standpoint. And so I'm I'm very fascinated, you know, because when you watch film, on these college guys, Baldy, it's, it's so hard to judge what they're going to be because these college offenses are, are awful in a lot of situations. I don't find know enough what throws, they're trying Kurt. to do. What's you can't that? find enough throws. I mean, you just can't find enough throws with a dirty pocket and getting hit and where they're thrown right. into a window with anticipation. And I mean, I, I, I just went through every single throw of Joe Burrow last yep. uh, yesterday. He, he threw 527 passes. I mean, when you go through it, I mean, you can eliminate 400 passes right away. I mean, right away, <laughs> yeah. like 400 right out. So now you're, you're looking at I me. Mean, I, I, I mean, I see, you know, some really good accuracy. I see a lot of good stuff. But out of 527 throws, Kurt, I mean, literally 400 were nothing but just the ball was out of his hands. You could have played the game in a pair of, you know, Bermuda shorts, like what you're wearing right now yeah. in Cabo, and, and just fine. Like you weren't. Yeah, no, exactly. Hit. And you that's it. It's like. We're supposed to gauge what these guys are going to be. And like you said, you look at these offenses and their bubble screens and their go routes, and that's what the prime, you know, primarily what they're doing. They're not throwing every route. You know, I look at concepts and I go, I don't even know what they're supposed to be doing here. Like, I don't know what the read is on this because this concept doesn't make sense to me. So it's basically just dropping back and throwing it. And that's just not how you play the game. And then you add that to – 
the inconsistencies of these guys where one game they might look great and then the next game they're they're terrible and then the next game they're good and then the next game they're bad and it's just you know like okay even within that simplicity of the offense is if you can't show good technique if you can't show consistency in your ability to throw what are you going to translate to be to the next level now it could go either way. Now, you could get in a system that actually makes sense and has a, a scheme that makes sense, and one or two of these guys just kind of pop, and they show up, and you go, oh, gosh, now they're in a place where they can utilize their mental skills where they didn't in college. Or you get them into a system where they actually have to do that stuff, and they have to throw on time, and they have to anticipate, and now they fall apart because it's nothing that they've ever done before, and they're not throwing routes that they've ever worked on before. Now they've got to get under center when they've never been under center before, and that really becomes the hardest part of trying to gauge okay what do we think now at least with Joe Burrow they did a lot of empty stuff they did a lot of the stuff where he was you know surveying the field and he was making a lot of different kinds of throws and then you couple that with um, with this technique for, for a bigger guy he's got great a great compact delivery uh, short stroke uh, good balance and you know it leads to accuracy and so you see some of those things and you go okay at least that's something that I believe can translate you know the five out and making quick decisions and getting out of your hands accurately to guys that's something that can translate you know throwing a bunch of bubble screens and goes doesn't translate very well to the next level and so he's a guy that you know, I still think has a really good chance uh, based on what you saw last year. You know, Tua's another guy that, especially on the short stuff, the RPO game, if he got into an RPO system, I think he could just excel. He's very good with his feet, and he's very good at popping his feet and very accurate uh, on the underneath stuff specifically uh, that I'm excited to see him at the next level. Uh, he did have to make some what I would call pro-type reads within their offense. Um, yeah, so I'm excited to see those two guys, and I think there's a lot of their game that can translate to the NFL. But a lot of the other guys, it was just a lot of inconsistencies and, and highs and lows and you know craziness in their offense that I didn't really know how to gauge them. Jalen Hurts is a guy that I think intrigues me a little bit, Baldy, is that thought he looked really good at the combine. The ball came off his hand. Watching him in college, Oklahoma is just such a different beast in what they do offensively, so it's hard to really gauge that. But a playmaker, a guy that kind of reminds me of more like a Russell Wilson type where he may not win a lot of snaps on time and anticipating. It's more of kind of a playmaker and a feel for the game. So he's a guy that intrigues me because he's won a lot of football games and he's made a lot of plays no matter where he was, even though, you know, maybe not a technician from a throwing standpoint or a reading standpoint. Kurt, he, he, he is a guy that I believe – is going to play even better at the next level. I mean, I think he's coachable. I think he is a born leader. Uh, every other quarterback coach, every other quarterback, Kurt, in college that gets benched now literally transfers the next day. Like, they yep. leave. And, like, he's, he's not just stuck it out, but he played backup. He came in in a championship game, helped him beat Georgia the, the next year, graduated. You went there and competed at Oak. I mean, I love everything about the kid, Kurt. And I want him on my team. I don't know that he's ready. To, he's not ready to start, and he, he shouldn't be. But I, I believe that if you draft that kid and you spend the time with him, that we're going to see a starting quarterback in this league. I don't know if that's two years from now, Kurt, or what. It, I don't know when it is. But I believe he's going to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. And, and I don't doubt that at all. Uh, again, I, I like all the things that you're talking about. He's a playmaker. You know, I, I like the fact that he's played two different places and had great success. I like the fact that when he was at 
Alabama, he, he, didn't, he wasn't really asked to be a passer. He was asked to be a leader and to win, and he did that. And then he goes somewhere else in Oklahoma, and he's asked to be a playmaker. And he shows up, and he does that, and he find, finds ways to be a playmaker for him. So he's shown us that he can win and play different ways. As I said, you know, maybe the guy that, that popped to me the most at the combine without you know, one and two throwing was Jalen Hurts. The ball came out of his hands, and again, I think there's some technique things that he needs to improve on. You know, watching him at Oklahoma, there wasn't a lot of, you know, see and, and throw and read and get the ball out, but had a great feel inside the pocket, as I said, kind of like a Russell Wilson, where mm-hmm. you know, maybe not seeing things clear inside the pocket, but has a chance to buy time and has great vision down the field and can make plays. And so I'm, I'm very intrigued by him, too. I, I think he's a guy, as you said, um, probably isn't ready to step in and start right away. Um, but could he take on kind of a Taysom Hill type role early on? as he develops and maybe become that consummate leader that you want and playmaker that you want that coupled with the right team can be a starter and can be very successful for a long time. Hey, Kurt, when uh, you mentioned Kyler Murray earlier, and I'm interested to get your thoughts on, on the, that young core of NFL quarterbacks that are starters now and guys that are going to take it to that next level. Obviously Mahomes is young and, he is incredible already. He's got t- such accomplishment with the Super Bowl and the MVP and the Super Bowl MVP under his belt already. But who are those other young quarterbacks that coming up this season could make that jump into that into that upper pantheon of the great NFL quarterbacks? Is Murray a guy that's poised to get there next year? We know what Lamar Jackson accomplished. Who are those guys? Well, I mean, it's it's a fascinating question because I'm kind of waiting like everyone else. I think we've got some good young playmaking quarterbacks um, in guys that, that you mentioned, and, and there's, there's a bunch of them out there. Um, you know, but the question to me is, is who can develop and, and grow their game to the point where they're not just a playmaking quarterback, but they're a complete quarterback. You know, Kyler Murray had a great year in Arizona statistically and making plays. If you watch him on film – he didn't even know what he was doing half the time. It was more just <laughs> making plays. Deshaun Watson's another guy that uh, impressive. He's a, he's a leader. He's a playmaker, but hasn't really learned how to play the game yet. You know, Carson Wentz is another guy. Dak Prescott, another guy that they've shown glimpses and, and times where they've been really good, and they've shown that they can win at this level. But just winning is different than being a championship quarterback. Being a championship quarterback is the ability to be able to win in different ways. And specifically to me, being able to win inside the pocket when a team forces you to win inside the pocket, to make decisions, to make reads, to make the layups you're supposed to make. And there's not a lot of guys, those young guys in the league, that make all of those plays. That to me is what separates Patrick Mahomes from the rest early in his career is that he's a playmaker and he's going to make all those special plays that a lot of guys can make. But what he also does is he makes a lot of the layups. He makes the plays he's supposed to make by reading and getting the ball out and allowing the play to work for him. And that's where all of these other guys, to me, if they want to separate themselves and become in that category, as we were talking about with Tom Brady, like, you know, the AFC side, if one of those guys wants to separate himself and say, hey, now I have to be reckoned with in terms of getting to the Super Bowl, um, they're going to have to take steps in terms of playing inside the pocket, seeing the game, uh, consistently making throws on time and based on what the defense is telling them. They can't just live in that creative world of, I'm a great athlete, I can make plays. Yes, it's exciting. Mm -hmm. Yes, it can win games in the regular season. Seldom does it win games in the playoffs. 
just thinking you're going to play three good teams and you're going to just run around and make plays and you're going to beat them. You've got to become more consistent in the pocket. And we've got a lot of guys that are right there on the verge that I say, man, can they do it? Can they take that step? And it will be exciting when they do that. If they all could make those steps, that would be, I mean, our league would be in awesome shape for the next 10, 12 years. Um, But there's not a lot of those guys, those young playmaking guys that have taken that step where I say, okay, now he's there. Now I think he can compete with the Mahomes and the Bradys and the Breezes and those types of guys. But I'm excited to see, you know, if one of them can, if two of them can, uh, or if we can get a bunch of them to, uh, you know, at this point in their career, make a big step. It makes analyzing games. It makes analyzing games a lot easier when you got great quarterback play on both sides, Kurt. It's like get the <laughs> analysts out of the way, let the quarterbacks go do their thing, and let's just sit back and enjoy this, this show. And that. When you get that in any game, it's um, it's the best for the fans, it's best for the analysts, it's best for TV. And uh, like like you said, we just need more of those guys. And I think, uh, you know, it's a good young crop, and we got to see who's going to step up. Um, Kurt, you're on vacation, and you have just enlightened all of us and all of our listeners here. So I I know that there's – there is activities for you to go partake in down there in Cabo San Lucas. So we want to thank you for your time. We were gracious time here, Kurt, and uh, hope you get out and uh, enjoy some of that vacation. Baldy, how great is Kurt Warner? Well, you know, um, I did, uh, I've known Kurt a long time. Uh, I have the benefit of calling his games when he was an Amsterdam Admiral back in 1998 wow. in Europe. So we, we have a good history. We work together. We just uh, put together, 20 new film sessions this year. But the one thing about Kurt, Jason, we were working literally from seven in the morning until uh, six at night for three or four nights in a row. And in between every single film session, he never stopped talking football, never stopped. I mean, he, he, he literally was tireless. Like he just was right there. That's kind of how, he, when you start talking about the game and specifically quarterbacks, you literally, you have them all day. And there is like, there is no fatigue. That's that's who he is. And I don't doubt for a second that he said that he probably could still play. I really don't doubt it. I mean, he literally feels like when he talks to you, like he's got a quarter, uh, a ball in his hand and he's ready to deliver, a, you know, a slant route that wants to put a dagger right through your, you know, right into your heart. So uh, I thought he was great, but that's how he usually is. And I thought that he really assessed the free agent class and then, you know, Having this advantage of him being on the field for a lot of those guys that threw uh, at the combine, I think is really, really valuable. And you're going to hear a lot more of that analysis as we get up and lead up to the draft. Yeah, I, I felt like I could hear him patting the ball. Like he was ready yeah. to go. Oh, that's it. <laughs> He's right, Chase. Cocked and loaded. Like he, he, might, he might have a football <laughs> down there with him with his daughters and his wife down there in Cabo right now. Tossing anybody on the beach that will catch it. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. And you know he'll deliver a good ball, no question about it. Uh, so thanks to Kurt Warner for joining us. Baldy, we're going to wrap up this first episode of Baldy's Breakdowns with five questions for Baldy. Are you ready? Okay. Yep. We don't have a clock or anything, do we? No, we don't have a clock. All right, here's question number one, Baldy. Are the 49ers equipped to make a return trip to the Super Bowl? If not, then who in the NFC is? I think they are equipped. I mean, I think they still are going to have real big battles with Seattle. And we'll see how Seattle... Uh, retools their defense because I think they have to get better. Um, you know, they lost both starting running backs last year, and that really took away from what their offense is. When the running backs were healthy, they beat San Francisco in San Francisco. So they're going to get a formidable test from Seattle, which is not a bad thing. It's good to be tested 
throughout the season. And I believe the Rams will bounce back. I think Sean McVay is too good of a coach. So they're going to get tested within their own division. But I do believe that they have a chance to do it. And I think anytime you're competing against Russell Wilson in Seattle, you have to you have to look at them as a real test for a team that you have to get through to get to the playoffs. Because I think they're a playoff contender every year. And if they're healthy enough and built the right way, they have a chance to get back. And then I think you have to, you know, I think you have to look at, you know, New Orleans, which finished in a disappointing fashion, but they're going to return their team probably almost intact, including the quarterback. So I know it's three years in a row and three years of disappointment, but sometimes that bad taste never leaves your mouth. And I think that there'll be a team that you're going to have to reckon with. Yeah, and they got that receiver in Michael Thomas, who's absolutely incredible. Uh, question number two for Baldy, five questions for Baldy. Who is the team in each conference that's going to go from a conference contender that was not a playoff team last year? You saw it in, with uh, the 49ers this year. They didn't make the playoffs the year prior. Of course, Jimmy G was hurt. And then, boom, they go to a Super Bowl. Who's the team in the NFC that can make that jump and the team in the AFC that can make that jump in your vision? Well, I mean, I think I think the Rams will have a bounce-back year. Um I think Sean McVay is too good of a coach. And so they really struggle with a lot of young offensive linemen. They won't be young offensive linemen this year. Or they'll upgrade, you know, whether it's through the draft or through free agency. But they'll get that position fixed. Um, I think defensively they've been adding components to, you know, to go with Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey and some other good players there. So I think the Rams have a chance. And I think the Falcons, you saw the way they finished the second half of the season. They finished 6-2. and two. The second half of the season, uh, they made some changes in the coaching staff uh, to, to get to 6-2 and two in the second half. They beat the Saints. They beat the 49ers in the second half of the season. I think, it, I think the Falcons are a team that could bounce back and could be in the playoffs this year. Wow, very interesting. After that first half they had, it was not too impressive. Um, question number three, fill in the blank. Tom Brady will be the blank quarterback of the blank in 2020. Well, I said at the very start of this uh, podcast here, Jason, that Trying I, to see if I just you changed your mind. <laughs> I haven't changed my mind. I, uh, I, I believe that I don't believe that the New England Patriots have a succession plan to allow Tom Brady to walk, um, and I believe he's going to play for the Patriots. And I think that all they need to do with him, I mean, I think he'll get paid no matter where he goes because he's Tom Brady and he deserves it. But I think all they have to do to, to convince Tom Brady to stay is to let him know about the commitment to the offense that they're going to make, whether it's free agency or draft or whatever, that they're going to be a better offensive team around him next year. And you can't, and we, we didn't talk about this with Kurt, but you can't underscore the fact that Josh McDaniels returned this year. And basically with Josh McDaniels in the building, he's, basically had almost the same offense for 20 straight years. And that makes him the most dangerous quarterback of any quarterback in this league because there's 20 years of experience that he can pull from in any situation um, to get him out of a jam or to finish a game or to win a game. And he's not going to get that anywhere else. Uh, question number four, five questions for Baldy. The Cowboys reportedly offered Dak Prescott a $105 million contract about $33 million per season. If Baldy's advising the Cowboys and Stephen Jones, do you recommend uh, extending that offer? Well, I think they have to sign Dak Prescott. I mean, the Cowboys have spent less than 
all but four other teams in the NFL over the last five years. And so they're at the bottom of spending. Right now, you know, just from a you know, salary cap standpoint, they've got $77 million to spend. Dak Prescott, by, because they did not get the deal done last year, they got uh, the running back done instead. Um, you know, it the, the, the figure's going to go above probably what Carson Wentz was paid in Philadelphia and, and what Russell Wilson was paid in Seattle. And so it's a bigger ticket this year. And so they're going to have to write that ticket. And if I was Dak Prescott, I know what both those quarterbacks made. And I'm demanding more of that than than what they received. And that's that's the freight that Dallas is going to have to pay. All right, last thing for you, Baldy. Um, the proposal is 17 games. Does it make sense to have an odd number of football games in a regular season? Nobody can finish 500. Yeah, I, I it's just odd to me. I know the owners want 18 games, and the players just are not going to sign off on 18 games. And so they're stuck right now. They want more games, more games, more revenue. I get that. They got to keep growing the pie. I understand all of that. But 17 is just an odd number. I mean, if I was negotiating this, this, you know, the CBA right now with the players, I would put 18 games in there and I would give them every concession that they basically wanted. And we read about a lot of them, but I would give them just about everything they wanted because they're going to get their money in the C in the television deal, um, you know, it's going to be a record deal, but two preseason games, 18 regular season games, Jason, um, to me, extra bye why week, did they just a bye week. Why did they just start with 18 games? Why did they, because the players I think are going to sign this deal for 17. I mean, it's been extended two days, um, from, from this podcast today. So it's been extended two more days until Saturday this week, instead of Thursday. To, to get it ratified. I think it's going to get ratified at 17 games, and the owners are going to end up kicking themselves that this thing is going to be ratified, I don't know, until 2030 or something like that, that they should have just started with 18 games and said, this is it. This is what we're going to do. The players would have balked. No, it's no question. Uh, the Players Association would have fought it. But there's been concessions on both sides to make it happen. And I think the, I think the owners kind of messed up. Yeah, and you could have one opportunity to go right to 18. Now they're going to have to deal with the headache of a neutral site game or uh, a staggered every other year. One year you have nine home games. The other year you have eight. I mean, it just seems really bizarre to me to have an odd number of games in a professional sports season. Yeah. Well, Baldy, episode one is in the books. Baldy's breakdowns. You're back. You're ready to go. The headband, it held up nicely for you. You didn't dredge it. I didn't work up too much of a sweat today. It's going it, to, but it's going to start absorbing some as the temperatures rise and uh, the action starts getting real hot here real soon because money's, money, the, 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 the new NFL season begins next Wednesday. Uh, I think it's the 18th of March. It is. And yep. money's going to be flying out of these wallets of these owners and people are going to be scratching their heads. I might be one of them, but I'm all for players getting paid. So uh, it should be fun going, uh, starting this year, Jason, and going down the road. No question, and we'll have another episode for you next week. The money's already flying out of CBS's wallet to Tony Romo and maybe to Peyton Manning. We'll see. It's been a wild offseason, and we're going to bring it all to you here on Baldy's Breakdowns. That's episode one of the books. Everybody, get ready for some football because the NFL offseason is officially underway.